politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and for what actually matters. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in bright and sunny. No, I'm just kidding. It is actually snowing here in Raton, New Mexico. Um, we are at our Patriot Academy defensive handgun training course. You guys should be jealous you're not here, but fear not. In a couple months, we will have another one of these trainings. It is amazing meeting some of you guys in the audience. Really terrific people out here. We got kids as young as 12, older folks, retired people. Um, we are all trying to actually learn how to use a handgun. And, you know, I was thinking it's similar to the rest of conservative politics. We're all for gun rights, but a lot of us don't know how to draw from a holster. Well, we all claim to be conservative, but then we don't actually practice it. We don't actually even focus on the right issues. One of the interesting things is, you know, while I'm on the road, so I never have cable news. I never have access to it. I don't care about it. And in the hotel room, I turn on Fox News because I want to see what the average baby boomer Republican voter is is watching. What sort of news are they getting? And now I think I can understand why so many of us are led astray. Um, the reality is they always focus on the issues that don't matter and the elections that don't matter. So today, obviously, we have some big primary elections, but they're all focused on Georgia. It's bizarre. It's like there's two rhinos running against each other for, for governor. And anyway, Brian Kemp is way ahead. So I'm not sure what the focus is, what the obsession is. And then in terms of the issues that matter, it's all Ukraine and Taiwan and the soap opera and just weird things. And I'm thinking, we literally have China has taken over our bodies. What do you mean, what are we going to do if they invade Taiwan? I mean, I don't want that. And all things equal, in the past, I would have fought for it. But now they've taken over our bodies. Now, obviously, I'm behind on the news from being here and shooting all day. But what I do know is that there is so much news out there on the clinical trials, both for the Pfizer shots and Paxlovid, that show they knew the fraud from day one. And yet, the FDA committee is meeting in a couple weeks to push this on babies, and no Republican is talking about it. Instead, Ted Cruz is out there saying Ukraine is the fight of our life. Somehow, it will help deter China. I don't get it, because... The World Economic Forum is now meeting in Davos and talking about how Ukraine is the most important thing, and the World Economic Forum is China. Moreover, if we deplete, depress, um, and stress ourselves out, our time, talent, and treasure over things that don't matter, that actually weakens our resolve. The last 20 years of flushing our soldiers, our money down the toilet, refereeing Islamic civil wars, weakened our deterrent against China. It's the exact opposite. So I don't know what Ted Cruz is talking about, but you know, it would be nice to get him to talk about the genocide on Americans. But somehow, that is not news. 
Now, today we're going to have a special guest on what I think is a race everyone should be focused on. There is a chance to knock off the longest-serving uh, Republican Senator Chuck Grassley in Iowa. We're going to have his challenger, Jim Carlin, on coming up in a couple moments. But that's the thing. They won't focus on the races that matter. We will. Alabama gubernatorial race. That is really the biggest race I think that matters for all of us. We have the opportunity to get trifectas, to get more DeSantis's. You know, he was out there, that is Governor DeSantis, saying, hey, anything that comes out of the WHO this week, we're not implementing in Florida. Name me another governor that said that. Okay, we need more. So we had on Tim James a little while back. Um, there's another candidate that's running close for second place. We'll see what happens. Um, but most polls have KIV below 50%. This is all hands on deck. Then you got the Senate race uh, where you have two rhinos and then Mo Brooks. Uh, you know, Trump did his whole treachery dance there and dumped on Mo Brooks. Uh, the reality is that the other two candidates are horrible. Um, it looks like at least the polls show Katie Britt is ahead, but there's going to be a runoff. Uh, the key is to get Mo Brooks in there and not Mike Durant. Um, and then Mo's seat, there's a whole race between an establishment person and a, a better person. You go over to Arkansas, and there's some important legislative primaries. The Walmart rhinos are trying to challenge some conservatives there. We also have the Senate race. Uh, Bozeman, a big rhino, he's being challenged by Beckett. We'll see what happens there. Hopefully, he could be drawn into a runoff. So there's really a lot going on. There's Minnesota 1. Um, there's an open seat there because the Republican uh, died. So Jeremy, Jeremy Munson is the conservative candidate. There's an establishment guy running there, too. Obviously, we have Georgia 14, Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, you know, the bad guys are gunning for her. So there really are a lot of important races. But again, everyone's focused bizarrely on two rhinos running against each other when one is like 30 points ahead in the polls. So I don't I don't get what the deal is, but but welcome to Fox News. Well, I guess I should welcome myself because I typically don't listen to it too often. So this is the point. We need to focus on the issues that matter at the time they matter and the elections that matter. I want to say another thing, and I... You know, I would have had him on the show this week. I'm just traveling, and it's a little bit harder to get a hold of people. But The Hill has an article out on Doug Mastriano, the man who won the gubernatorial primary in, in Pennsylvania. No one's focused on that. Everyone's always, Daniel, like, what's going to be with Pennsylvania? And they mean the Pasha versus McCormick. And I'm like, I don't care. Why don't you help Mastriano? You get a trifecta in Pennsylvania. What are you talking about? So they have a, a hit piece on him. That in 2001, he said there was a left-wing putsch. It's a uh, German word, P-U-T-S-C-H, um, to basically turn over the military. He wrote, the thesis was first reported in 2018. Um, and basically, he wrote a paper suggesting that left-wing elites were taking over the military. Good for him. <laughs> if there's any doubt that Doug Mastriano is for real, look back to, you know, 20 years ago before he ever thought of running for governor, and he he nailed it. 
And that was, you know, when everyone had this patriotic surge, 9-11, we thought we had a great military, but the signs were clearly there. I would die to go back to 2001. But, you know, my point is we have so many good candidates and races that if we only help them, rather than focusing on what Fox News tells us to do, we'd be so much better off for it. So much better off for it. Now, as far as the Pfizer news, you know, focusing on the right issues, I don't, I don't have enough time to get into everything, but I want to share one story with you. Um, this is from a guy, Jicky Links, on Twitter, and a couple guys have been uh, really delving into this. The original claim made by Pfizer that it, it was 95% in, uh, effective against preventing infection, it came from the fact that they claimed that there were 162 people in the placebo group that got uh, COVID, but only eight in the Pfizer group. But here's a the problem. There's another way to test for infection, and that's nucleocapsid antibodies. Who has N antibodies? And they dug in and they found the data. And they found that really, if you look at it carefully, 160 in the placebo had N antibodies and 75 of the what do you call it? The shot group. Meaning, and this was after having the shot. 75. Now, you might say, okay, Daniel, that means that 75 got it. Okay, but that's still, if you do the math, that's 53% effective. Well, that's a far cry from 95. That's huge fraud. But it's worse than that. I know a lot of you are probably jumping to mention the fact that didn't we just discover a couple weeks ago, we've had several data points and studies on this, that only 40% of those with the shots uh, seroconvert to N antibodies, right? They don't make the N antibodies because the shot often prevents them from making it and having durable immunity. So, And, and the British, uh, they noted this, the UK Health, Health Security Agency noted this in their reports, that if you look carefully, there's probably more people who got the shot who wound up getting infection because the sero... Uh, serology tests aren't telling us an, anything or enough because only 40% convert. So if you do the math, and, and he does the math for you here, that would work out to be, if you follow that study, 160 in the placebo would, would uh, have gotten infection after you know the trial, and 172 in the Pfizer group. That would be a non-statistically significant negative efficacy. It was straight up, they knew it from day one. Just like we talked about um, earlier, that they knew about people flooding the hospitals, flooding the hospitals uh, in Argentina around the largest trial site right after uh, they had the shots, serious stuff, hard stuff. They changed the diagnosis from vaccine injury to COVID in some cases when they were actually tested negative for COVID. This is the biggest story. And yet they are proving it for babies and nobody is speaking out. This is truly, truly, truly unbelievable. 
and, and you want to get me involved in foreign policy and different things while Davos and the WHO are meeting this week. And again, don't get too caught up in the WHO because it's just emblematic of the broader thing. Even if they don't adopt, like it looks like they might not even adopt those amendments, but Biden will do it anyway. We, we won't need the WHO. But we're going to focus on the right issues, the right elections, the right candidates. Look, I can't promise I'm going to have all the, you know, every candidate on. But again, we'll have an uh, election analysis of everything that happens, the things that do matter, just like we did with Idaho last week. Now, first, our sponsor today, our special interview is sponsored by iTarget Pro. Those of you who have come out here to our Patriot Academy training, you understand that everything is about muscle memory, how to properly draw your pistol from the holster, sight alignment, picture alignment, trigger control. Now, ammo is a fortune. Often you don't have time to go to a range. With iTarget Pro, you could practice all of that with the safety and in the privacy of your home. No more inconvenient trips to the range. No more you know, spending thousands of dollars on ammo iTarget will help you develop your muscle memory, sharpen your target reaction speed. Again, trigger function, sight alignment. iTarget Pro comes in all major calibers. So you put a, it's a dummy laser bullet. You put in, it could be 223 for, for AR. It could be uh, 9 mil, 45 cal, uh, 38 special, whatever. If you go to iTargetPro.com right now, you save 10% plus free shipping with offer code CR, as in conservative review. Um, again, this is something that, that it's a lot of fun. You download their app, they give you a board and you aim it at the board. It renders your shots, uh, for a couple extra dollars, you download their better app and you could even get timed shots. So it times your shots. And, you know, if you get too quick, your shots will be off. It's very accurate. So it really is a good way for you to practice the muscle memory, especially those of you who come out for our defensive handgun training, and you don't want to lose that training. You want to keep it up. You want to practice it. So go to the letter iTargetPro, iTargetPro.com, iTargetPro.com, offer code CR. So every October, November general election, we're always stuck with this quandary of, man, do you vote for the rhino? Is it better than nothing? The lesser of two evils? And then everyone's like, well, Daniel, now's not the time to play this game. You can't let the Democrat win. The time to do it is in the primaries. But then the irony is that during the primaries, no one ever focuses on the primaries. And this is why I gave you guys my commitment that even though we're very busy with other issues, strategies, and I am very much down on electoral politics, I still will try to give you the voice of many candidates that at least have some chance, or if they don't, they have something good to say. I obviously can't bore you with every little challenger running that doesn't have a chance, but I do want to get ahead of the curve and make sure we don't leave good men in the field that have put it all on the line and have really done what we've said we needed and we beg for, and then candidates step forward and we ignore them. Now, you listen to the news and everyone's focused on the exact wrong candidates in the wrong states, the wrong time. Uh, it's truly a distraction. It's really annoying. So one of the things I hope to do today, like we did last Tuesday, while we await the results 
of the big primary. Obviously, in my mind, it's it's the Alabama governor's race. I want to jump ahead to a later primary coming up in two Tuesdays from now, June 7th, in Iowa. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's going on in Iowa? Well, Iowa is the home of the longest-serving senator, at least Republican senator, maybe of all, Chuck Grassley. He's running for his eighth term at, yes, 88 years old. So he's embarking on a new term as an 88-year-old. Now, I think that in itself is egregious, but it's not even the biggest thing. You know, if he loved America, put America before other countries, put American citizens above everyone else, put Americans above pharma, above big ag, big uh, pro-criminal, by the way, he, he flipped on that issue, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be happy about it because I don't think it's appropriate, but okay, it's fine. To me, the bigger issue is that he is another typical Mitch McConnell, John Cornyn, establishment Republican, occupying a seat in a state, by the way, that has really moved to the right. Iowa is pretty similar, I would say, to Ohio in the sense that they were both kind of purple states and really, really moved over. Now, you might think, how in the world could you defeat a guy like Chuck Grassley if we can't even defeat establishment guys in open seats or less uh, entrenched incumbents? I never thought there was much of a hope. But one man did, and he saw what I frankly would have never seen, that people were getting tired of him, and now polling is actually showing that. Uh, Jim Carlin, he is a state senator from Iowa, uh, you know, over time, I've gotten to know pretty much the best members of each red state legislature, most states. Uh, he is the co-sponsor of that bill we talked about last year, probably the most comprehensive pro-medical freedom bill, banned all mandates, public-private, all discrimination, um, really good bill, unfortunately. Uh, it didn't make it across the line, and we'll talk about that. Uh, before serving in the House, for, uh, in the Senate for about five years, he served in the House. He is also a tort lawyer uh, in, in terms of his private practice. He served in the military in the 80s, and he is with us today to talk about his David versus Goliath uh, battle here that I think you guys need to know about. Jim, thanks so much for joining us today for the first time at Blaze Media. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me, Daniel. I really appreciate the opportunity. Now, I know you're in session uh, today. You're in the, the Capitol chamber there. Um, but I did want to take a little bit of time to go in depth. I, I first want to just present to you this question before we did, get to Grassley and the specific most important issues. And, and, and folks, he's not ready for this question. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. But I got to <laughs> oh, ask. Oh, that's good. I got to ask you, so this is not scripted. Uh, sure. Obviously, I've been noting for a long time, I don't give a darn about the U.S. Senate. I think Washington is irremediably broken. I think the country is broken. I think the best thing we can do is take red states like Iowa and make them actually red. So currently, you are a state senator. In my view, you are actually more powerful being in the legislature than one of a hundred in the Senate, U.S. Senate, where let's say if you win, the population of conservatives will go from two to three. Why in the world do you think it's worth it to leave the legislature and run to be a part of a supermajority rhino caucus? Well, 
I, you know, I think that's a fair question. So <laughs> this is this. No, really, that this is what I've done on my end. I've actually actively recruited very, very strong conservative uh, Republicans, like-minded people who who understand and know the boundaries of the Constitution and understand medical freedom well. And uh, uh, I've lined up about well, probably about eleven people around the state. You know, some of them were going to run anyway. I, I'm, I'm working on helping them, but I've been able to recruit six people at a minimum to to get uh, to run for the state house. My replacement, uh, Kevin Alons, is a full bird colonel uh, in the in the Air Guard who is leaving after 30 years uh, of service because he refused the vaccination, and he is a very grounded individual. Um, what influence can one person have? I think Senator Manson could a- answer that question for you, Daniel. Um, when you're, you know, when the margin is that thin, your your influence and your leverage, your pinch points, um, have a lot more to them than than what first, you know, than what meets the eye. And uh, I've learned the value of leverage here and building coalitions and. Uh, using those coalitions to get good things done on the heartbeat bill, uh, which didn't have any chance of passage till we leveraged it, a mandatory active shooter training bill uh, with infrastructure, and a senior property tax freeze. So you, you just have to find a way to get things done, and there usually there usually is a is a path if you work it. Now I want to transition this because. While you did have some victories in the legislature, you were stymied. I I actually told my audience last year I felt Iowa was a state to watch where we might accomplish some good things on medical freedom. And indeed, we did in Tennessee, and we did in um, Florida to a certain extent, mainly it's because of the governor, not so much the legislature, and very much in New Hampshire, not because of the governor, but because of the legislature. But then I looked at Iowa, and I feel like you guys have done nothing good to inoculate ourselves on COVID fascism. You guys had some great bills. Could you explain who is behind disrupting those bills? Well, I, I think uh, we don't have the votes in the House. And when you don't have the votes in the House, um, there's reticence, understandably, from Senate leadership to, uh, to get bills to the floor that have virtually no chance of passage. Uh, in the House, and I think that's that's held up our education savings account bill that we tried to get. Um, some of the more conservative-leaning legislation has been stopped that way, uh, and that's you know that's just a reality of what we're confronted with. Yeah, but who's confronting you? Um, you know, I I would say uh, I, I think as leader, Pat Grassley has to take some responsibility for that. Um, it's his job to uh, get his people in line with, you know, for instance, the governor's education savings account bill. Uh, it flew through the Senate on our side and stalled over there. And um, it's things like that that, you know, when you want to get, when you want to pass some really authentically conservative pieces of legislation, um, it takes a lot of leverage to get it done on, on that side of the rotunda. So for our audience, a lot of people are unaware of this. Pat Grassley is Chuck Grassley, U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley's grandson, and he happens to also be the Speaker of the House. 
So that's right. In Iowa, um, you know, we talk a lot on this program about the fact that a lot of state senates are horrible. It's usually the Senate that's worse than the House because they're bigger districts, takes more money to get elected. But in your state, you have a pretty decent state senate. It's the House that's the problem. Well, the speaker is Chuck Grassley's grandson. So you're leaving the legislature, and you're like, I'll go after the granddaddy of the establishment. (laughs) What in the world? Why in the world? Because I was skeptical. Remember when you you called me originally last year, and I was like, I was like, what in the world? How in? Because I I was so jaded by this. I was like, we can't beat even more beatable guys. Where did you see this vulnerability? Because now, you know, a couple months ago, the Des Moines Register did a poll, and Chuck Grassley's fave on fave among Republicans is, I don't know, like 80 10 or something. And now it's really come to parity. What's up with Mm -hmm. that? Well, actually, Daniel, I don't know if you know this, but you handed me some of the ammo. Um, you have a you have a website called the Conservative Review, and uh, you guys keep the box scores on votes, and uh, you have a Liberty score that you have, and uh, Senator Grassley's Liberty score for the last six years was an F, uh, according to that platform. And, um, you know, the other people that are in the F conversation are Pelosi and Schumer and AOC. And uh, I think he came back with conservative. His liberty score was was an F and he he graded out at 58 percent. He has voted with the Biden administration agenda 54 percent of the time. Um, You know, right now, I I don't know if you saw 2000 mules, but there's a lot of. Patriot-minded people around the state that that still feel that there was uh, a great deal of fraud associated with the 2020 election. I'm one of them. Um, I supported President Trump's efforts at transparency uh, by seeking to get a resolution. We couldn't get that done, but um, I, I I'm a math guy. You lose 18 out of 19 bellwethers. I'm scratching my head with that. Uh, if there's no historical precedent for losing Ohio, Florida, and Iowa, uh, and and be a sitting president, you know there has to be, and this is a systemic problem, Daniel. There has to be accountability of government to the people, and right now there's a different set of rules for the political class, and people are picking up on it. They're not naive about it anymore. Um, they didn't want him to certify the election. They didn't want him to vote for the infrastructure bill. They certainly didn't want him to vote against completion of, of President Trump's wall. And those things are all documented on that website. Wait a minute. I'm the, I'm the senior editor, and you're telling me, and I, I forgot for a second, I didn't realize Grassley was one of the Republicans who voted for the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. So Grassley's out there saying, oh, there's inflation, the Biden inflation. Well, gee, where do you think it comes from? Sure. Well, I, you know, here's the thing. He has voted for $4 trillion in spending in the last three years. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of Milton Friedman. I understand that inflation is a function of government spending, and if you want to stop inflation, you, you don't throw a trillion and a half dollars on the flames of it because that'll just get it to burn a whole lot, a whole lot hotter. And right now, when you, you know, some estimates, Daniel, have us at 16% inflation. That means one sixth of a fixed income senior's income is gone. It's gone. It's been stolen. 
Um, you know, that, that means one sixth of your paycheck. And this is a permanent tax. It's never going to go away. You just lost out on one sixth of your income thanks to big government spending. And, and, and also, a lot of return? people. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people forget it's not just a voting record. You're not just a vote in, in the Senate. You're a voice. So a lot of things right. in, in today's Senate is very different from when uh, Grassley entered it. We don't take a lot of votes anymore. Um, they shove everything into omnibus bills. So you know, a lot of times they're, they give their energy for bad things, but they never come up for a vote. So they're actually even worse than it reflects. Like, I mean, he supported Dodd-Frank. He supported... People forget he actually supported the original versions of Obamacare. If you look at look at a scorecard, yep. you're not going to find right. that. But no. but 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 his voice helped get it. I mean, because it was it was very narrow, um, very close, and he helped support this. So I want to talk about healthcare. Obviously, that's 800 pound gorilla in the room. We have biomedical right. fascism. Um, you had a bill to ban all discrimination. You know, Grassley, like all Republicans, is like, well, I don't really like mandates, but I love Pfizer. The shots are amazing. Two years worth of, you know, all the information on, on negative efficacy and all the damage and um, terrible, terrible side effects. Uh, they're fine with that. What would you do in the Senate to, to turn this ship around this entire biomedical state, what are some of the ideas you would come to the Senate with? Well, here's the thing. They talked about, you know, Republicans talked about repealing and, and replacing Obamacare. So how did he sell it to us? You know, you can keep your doctor and your premiums are going to be lower. Well, you know, the architect of it knew that was a lie. And why did he know it was a lie? He knew that if you mandated coverage for pre-existing conditions, you were going to force out all smaller market health insurance carriers, and you basically create a monopoly. So it shouldn't have been called the Affordable Care Act. It should have been called the Monopoly Health Care Act, because on the other side of that, we have Blue Cross and Blue Shield and United Healthcare uh, doubling and tripling premiums. I think Blue Cross Blue Shield just asked for an 11% increase um, in the last couple weeks. So the reality of that is, when you mandate health insurance coverage, you have politicians that are basically selling our health care to health insurance carriers. Well, I mean, literally like selling us and then saying, you will have coverage. And then they have a monopoly and they double and triple the cost of our health care because they have a monopoly. Uh, you know, we're, we're not going to pay, pay for as much as we used to. So that, you know, some of those diagnostic tests, some of those things... Um, you're not going to get because we're in the driver's seat. You don't have a voice in this market on cost or quality. So one of my ideas, and I think President Trump has talked about this, you have to get rid of the pre-existing mandate in healthcare to get more market participation from smaller providers so that there is competition on cost and quality. That would be a good step. Um, I... I I'm a strong opponent of vaccination mandates for a lot of reasons, but, you know, as you and I talked about, I do medical malpractice for a living. The doctrine of informed consent requires that people know the attendant risks associated with a course of treatment. I do not believe that American citizens are being given the full benefit 
of the realities of what this vaccination is doing. Uh, I've lost two friends to blood clots in their brains shortly after administration of one vaccination, another with a booster, but they're not getting, they're not getting the data. Um, and I passed a lot of legislation in that regard. I, I don't claim to be an immunologist, but um, I had a bill that said we're going to recognize the antibodies as being the same as vaccinated. And why? Because the CDC knows your, your antibodies work better than the vaccination. So why should you be mandated to take a vaccination when you've already got something better in your system? Um, so, yeah, there's a whole lot to that conversation. Well, well you're, you're the one to ask this question. I mean, I used to think people like you were creeps. We used to always make fun of the uh, you know, ambulance chasers and everything. But now, when we finally need the ambulance chasers, we have, we have a scenario where, as you mentioned, we all know people who died from the shots. The, the degree of injury is so ubiquitous. We now have multiple, multiple data points around the world that hone in, and this is the short term, at around 0.8 to 1% severe injury. I mean, 1% of 260 million, you're de- dealing with several million people um, that were you know, severely injured by this shot. We have the remdesivir stuff. We have the hospital care that is out of control, the premature ventilation, the, the sedatives they gave that slowed the breathing rather than helping the respiratory distress. I know you have family members that are doctors and you're, you're very clued in on this issue. The denial of, you know, you know, the, the, the maniacal blocking of safe drugs while pushing unsafe drugs. We, we are literally lab rats. You become a U.S. Senator. How do we deal with the liability issues that, that it's not just a free runway that they get endorsed, funded, distributed by government, pressured even short of a mandate, much less a mandate, and absolved of liability. You you have to hold them accountable. If there's no accountability, you invite the worst, the worst, the worst there is. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the hospitals. Um, Senator Grassley's two biggest campaign donors, or excuse me, three. Blue Cross Blue Shield is his, is his top donor, oh, and they've certainly benefited from Obamacare. His number three donor is the Hospital Association. And oh, um, how many people watched helplessly as their loved ones died? And, you know, watched them get put on the vent, watched, you know, the remdesivir. You know, the efficacy of that, mm-hmm. I think, is, is it, it's, it's reasonable to challenge it. It's very reasonable to uh, investigate it. And uh, I myself benefited from from ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine. So um, the, it, it works. So the question is, why aren't they using it? Well, it might be that the ivermectin is 15 bucks. And um, that, you know, that's, I, I never thought I'd say something like that, but particularly, you know, in, in the context of our healthcare, but there are a lot of unanswered questions. Would, that, you, would you support some, some sort of bill taking away or limiting uh, the liability exemption, either the 86 Act or the PREP Act of 2004? I think I would. I mean, you know, here's the thing. It, there, there, has to be, there has to be some margin for research. I understand that. Yep. Um, there has to be some margin. But, but not to the point where there's knowing intentional conduct, not to that point. You know, I mean, 
Where there's gross negligence or intentional conduct, there should be a door for people to pursue legitimate yep. claims where there's, you know, there just should be. Also, I, I would raise the bar. I would just say there's a dual system in my mind. There's one thing if you want to do the research yourself, you fund it, you market it, free market, then there's one level. But if the government is going to take co-ownership, promote the heck out of it like nothing in the history of the universe has ever been promoted, even before the mandate. Certainly you mandated, but that we would oppose no matter what. We, we would ban mandates. But I'm saying, you know, right. if the government is going to countenance this entire thing in any way, well, dude, you can't have it both ways. Then you have to even the score and provide for, I would, I would say, downright fund the liability. And obviously, as you noted, all these Republicans, just like the Democrats, they're taking money from Big Pharma. They're taking money from the hospital associations. That's why we're seeing this. Um, so I know you're good on that issue, but here's what I want to challenge you with. Um, and I think you're really from the perfect state. What I'm worried about is that food is the next medical care that I, I've watched over the years as most Republicans, and especially from your part of the country, they pass these massive trillion-dollar farm bills. And what I've noticed they do is literally the same thing we've done to medical care. It creates an artificial monopoly and a cartel, and it also has an international angle, too. It destroys just like we destroy Obamacare destroyed private practice in medicine. There's almost no private farmers left. Soon you're going to have, you know, 20 farmers in the entire country that, that it, it's a national security issue. It's a food supply issue. It's a health issue because who knows what the heck they're putting in it now. Um, it's, it's a pricing issue, just like, you know, foods becoming like medical care now where it's just convoluted. Um, but you know, from Iowa, Basically, Iowa, the, 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 the ag lobby owns every Republican from there, including Grassley, and I'm seeing it manifest, and I know I'm going to throw a lot at you, so I'm going to give you a lot of time to respond. It manifests itself with food, as I just mentioned, and it also manifests with illegal immigration. You know, we, can, you know, we have the urban interest because they're liberal, they support illegal immigration, but then where are most conservatives from? Well, rural areas, okay, but then they're owned by big ag and big eggs like we need the labor so who cares about border language language culture crime you know fiscal cost everything that comes along with it we want our cheap labor and that's how we are where we are how are you going to be a u.s senator from iowa and break that big ag paradigm well i mean <laughs> there's a there's a lot in there of what you just said um the way I vote is, is shaped pretty, pretty, pretty simply by the notion, what if it was me? And uh, how would I feel if I were on the receiving end of this? Um, I, I have stood against and, and you're right, there has been monopoly concentration across every sector, sector and sphere of agriculture. Um, our, our family farmers just saw a 300% increase in the cost of fertilizer in the last year. And uh, I have been somewhat outspoken on the monopolization of agriculture. We do have antitrust laws. They just have to be used. Um, government is facilitating monopoly control, not just of agriculture, but of healthcare and also of big tech. And, um, you know, th those, those obviously are three, three sectors with enormous 
uh, implications, our food, our health, and our media. Yep. Uh, and th- it, it's, it's, you know, you stay on that path long enough, where does that lead you? But um, we, we, have to, we have to get free market competition back into what we do in, in agriculture and, you know, and as I said, in technology and healthcare. And the reason why, Milton Friedman said this. He said, you can't keep a republic without free market capitalism. I think he's right. I, I think we're doing a dangerous dance with, well, in my mind, what, what could be construed to be fascism because the government facilitated monopolies have a history of going in that direction. Yep. So, and now they own you, um, and they're like, well, it's a private sector. They could do what they want. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you have to have the courage and resolve to show how this is on a path to further control over our individual lives. Um, if I can addict you to a cell phone and you know, do the thought police control of content, uh, restrict speech, and mine your data unfettered by any government regulation. I kind of own you, Daniel. And uh, I don't know if you saw that movie, Social Dilemma, but Mm. um, that that was put out by Netflix four years ago, and some former executives with Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter resigned because they... They viewed the trajectory of, of those platforms as immoral and uh, as a threat to our children. And they put that together. Um, you know, if, if you can monopolize control of food, of technology, and of healthcare, that's enormous power. And those are things we all need, obviously. And uh, it puts us at an extreme leverage disadvantage when trying to confront it as free citizens. And then lurking behind each of those three is China, um, because you have this kind of globalist, so-called private monopoly created by anti-free market policies for decades, by the way, especially we see it in medical and and food. And then China seems to kind of be, be there in the background owning everything. Um, how concerned are you about the food supply with China owning a good amount of the pork production, um, China owning directly and indirectly a lot of land, a lot of land in, in America, yeah. farmland? Uh, would you be for federal legislation dealing with that? I would. Um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. China is a very big conversation. They produce, by some estimates, 90% of the world's pharmaceutical drugs. That is a national security issue. Um, They produce, by some estimates, 80% of the world's rare earth minerals. We need rare earth minerals for cell phones, ballistic missile guidance systems, jet engines, and batteries for EV vehicles, which I don't really want. Um, Senator Grassley supported the nomination of, of Michael Regan, who is Biden's EPA nominee, along with Pete Buttigieg and Merrick Garland. Um, but Jeez. the significance of the Regan, yeah, think about that. Uh, the significance of the Regan vote. And, is, and that's when he's trying to move to the right. <laughs> well, 
I, yeah, I don't really see that as much of a move to the right when you want to make half of U.S. domestic car production EV in eight years. I mean, what would that do to our ethanol market? So you, you go from a position where, you know, your, your real strength, of, the strength of your economy is fossil fuels, it's coal, and it's ethanol. And you depart from strength to dependence on China. That is just a horrific course to take. And certainly the effects of that are, are pretty known to us now. I mean, you know, uh, five, $5 uh, gallon of diesel, 550, you know, all that. We're, we're feeling it. So um, China has a very well thought out, intentional plan, global ambitions for economic, world, and military domination. Um, they are way, way, way ahead of the curve on that. If, if you ever go to Africa, I've been to Kenya and I've been to Malawi. They wield enormous influence over the politics of Africa, where there's a lot of mineral resources yeah. and other other wealth. And Latin and America. They're too. doing that all around the world. I, well, I'm sure you're familiar with the book Red Handed, right? Yep. Yeah. Well. Yeah, Latin, Latin America also a, tremendous amount. The resources there. They're oh. involved in Venezuela. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. So I want to transpose into our final issue with that. Obviously, one of the big differences of being a state senator versus a U.S. senator, you deal, deal with foreign policy. Now, one of the things I can never understand about Republicans is that it's almost like pornography for them to talk about foreign engagements. You can't get them excited. Yeah, you know, we're kind of like taking away human rights here at home. Our hospitals have become concentration camps. Uh, we have 235,000 people streaming across the border. Um, inflation is worse than it's ever been, and it's not indicated in those 9-10% numbers because the vital things seem to have doubled in price. Um, crime is is just out of control. But it's Ukraine that they're like, Mitch McConnell recently said it's the most important issue of our time. How would you distinguish yourselves and fr fr yourself from Grassley and McConnell and these other guys and break this cycle of this, this desire to get involved in every single foreign thing rather than conserving it for, like you said, the one area we really need it is China, not these other conflicts? Well, you have to get at the root of, or, you know, understand what the real issues are. Now, obviously, I'm not privy to Senate intelligence briefings the way they are. Um, they're, they're my, I'm sure there's quite, quite a bit that I, I, I don't know. Um, what I do know is we don't have a southern border. Um, and Senator Grassley, uh, you know, this is interesting. This is something you pointed out on Conservative Review. You voted twice against completion of the construction by taking funding out of an appropriations bill that some of his Senate Republican colleagues voted against the bill, and uh, you actually brought that to light. Um, if we don't have national sovereignty with a border, I think by some estimates we've had 500,000 people come into the United States in the last 10 weeks. 99% of our meth comes from there from Mexico. Um, a large amount of our fentanyl comes from there. China gets it in through the mail and through Mexico. Just contextually, 91,000 people died from, from fentanyl last year, Daniel. 
That's more people than died in the entire Vietnam War in a single year. Okay? So the way this is being perceived, this is a war against this country. And the idea that we're going to, you know, be, be more engaged in standing up for Ukraine's borders than our own, I, that, that's a tough pill for me to swallow, boy. You, you'd really have to do me a lot of convincing to, to spend $40, and, you know, or $40 billion, and then you throw into the mix the history of the corruption there. Yep. Um, Senator, Senator Grassley had, had Hunter Biden's computer last July. Uh, that, that's been shown. That's that's known, and he decided to investigate it a month ago or whatever it was. Yeah. So there's a whole lot to the Ukraine conversation that involves top leaders in this country and family and. Yep. Yeah. There's. No, I mean, I mean, yeah. we're we're so, hearing that the Zelensky regime is like Churchill. I mean, he is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But when in fact, I mean, that's really what brought down President Trump. I mean, to a large extent. Um, all the people who complained about Russia Gate, but now they're they're literally helping all the people behind that. I never understood it. it doesn't make Putin a great person. He's not. He's a bad person. But it it's just like it's kind of like I thought after twenty years of funding two sides of civil wars, the Sunnis and the Shias often in, in various theaters. We've done it in Yemen and Sunni in in um. Uh, Syria, and now we're back in Somalia again, evidently. I thought we learned our lesson, but I thought Republicans did at least, but they didn't. So I take it you're a hard no on this endless, you know, weapons and funding for, for Ukraine. Well, I mean, is there going to be accountability of, of disclosures on the relationship between the military-industrial complex and our politicians? Um, I doubt, you know, if if people would just do their homework, go to Open Secrets, um, go to Vote Smart, you know, you really want to drain the swamp, you follow the money because the money leads to the motivation. You know, a great example of that, Daniel, is you saw that Hillary just got fined by the FEC, right? Yep. Well, she got fined for, for funding the Steele dossier. (laughs) <laughs> which is kind of ironic. You know, she, <laughs> she started a criminal investigation through criminal activity, undermining a sitting U.S. president, uh, served as a justification for wiretapping a sitting U.S. president, and somehow they never got around to asking the most dispositive question, who paid for it? Well, I think we're all shocked to find out it was Hillary, right? Why, you know... I don't know why, you know, Senator Grassley was the judiciary chair at the time. That would have been the very first thing I would have wanted to know. Well, you bring me to one final thing. I wasn't going to bring this up, but also as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he was the lead sponsor of a bill to provide early release for thousands of the worst federal drug traffickers. And as you well know, uh, you know, you, you're caught smoking marijuana. You don't wind up in a federal joint. These are the worst gang members that are doing the trafficking that's killing so many people. Senator Tom Cotton, I don't know if he reintroduced it in this Congress, but in the previous one, he had a bill to create life in prison and in some cases the death penalty for those who knowingly uh, killed with fentanyl. Um, he actually had, I mean, again, Grassley has his name on the bill that, that you know, 
went in the opposite direction. Eh, it's just drugs. Who cares? You know, we, we lock up too many people, which I never understood that because I think we don't lock up enough people. Um, so would you be in favor of toughening penalties on some of these fentanyl and meth traffickers? I would because, in my view, fentanyl is a violent crime. And for that matter, so is methamphetamine. Um, I, I've been a part of a, a prison ministry that I started. I, I've met these people. I've talked to them. And um, I'm somewhat empathetic, but here's the problem. And I, and I am empathetic. The problem is the children who live in the houses of fathers and mothers on meth and fentanyl, are you going to sit there and tell me that it's not a violent crime? That it's just a drug? Yep. When their dad goes off on meth and assaults them or, or, or tears them apart? Or, you know, yep. they, they get, yeah, and, or they lose their mom and dad to fentanyl. Um, that, that's, that's violence. And it needs to be treated appropriately as violence. Well, Grassley's entire career, he called it the leniency industrial complex. God bless him. I agreed with it. But then, bizarrely, in 2016 or so, he just, 2016, 2017, he just flipped. And I don't, I don't know to this day what happened there. Um, it's a little bit odd. But people are looking for change. Um, could you let provide us with some information of why you feel again you can't guarantee you're going to win because this it, there's no real precedent for defeating someone that entrenched to defeat an, a sitting incumbent republican in a, in a primary is almost unheard of in a century um in in a, in a clean primary uh it happened you know very few times so but but why is it competitive you know everyone who runs they think they're uh, they're doing good I don't see any polling data, but what are some signs that this is a race to watch in the next two weeks? Well, Senator Grassley uh, declined an opportunity to debate me. Uh, we had 11,000 signatures on our petition. He had 10,000 just to get on the ballot. Um, we've seen a stepped-up uh, stepped attacks from his campaign directed at us. If they didn't think that this was a real race... They wouldn't be doing that. They've sent their people to our events, in some instances to harass us during our events. And um, again, if if they didn't see our campaign as a real threat, we wouldn't be seeing the stuff that we're seeing. I, it is a very real race. When I when I try, and I've been everywhere uh, across the state, and when I talk to talk to most people, and uh, you know, when I say most people, I mean most people. They believe that Senator Grassley has done some good things, but now is a good time for him to step down and, and retire at the age of 88. If he were to be elected, he'd be 89 years of age, and very few people believe that he would serve out his term, which means the people wouldn't get the opportunity to vote for the senator they wanted. That senator mm. would be appointed. So, so people, the other thing is um, the whole trust issue with his, with his votes the last six years, which you brought to light. You know, Iowans, Iowans are wonderful, good people, but you're making a mistake if you think they're going to play the fool for you. 
And um, I think they're done playing the fool for some of this stuff. And I, I think they're seeing the light of what's really going on uh, on the other side of on the other side of COVID, on the other side of Obamacare. And um, they realize that the government's not serving them; it's owning them. And they're, they're kind of, yeah, I think that's true. I, that, that, that's interesting because again, I never would have thought he'd be vulnerable. But it is interesting that there is public polling on every race I know, even even the ones that there's no prayer. You know, we had someone on, you know, running in South Dakota against the governor. You know, the polls show she's like 30, 40 points ahead. They'll poll anything. This is the first race I cannot find. I find polling showing that his fave numbers are really down and his unfaves have come up. Um, dramatically from where they were historically. He was always very popular, but there's no head-to-head poll with you, so I'm assuming there's nothing you have to share with this audience on that front? I, I, don't, I don't have any... I don't know. I really don't at this point. And, you know, I, I will tell you that, you know, the media has aligned itself with Senator Grassley largely, and, I, I you know, when, when you try to get through to the Des Moines Register or, uh, you know, the Quad City Times or, or, or the Sioux City. Well, not so much the Sioux City mm-hmm. Journal, but um, he wields a lot, of, a lot of influence on the media outlets, and I think that has a lot to do with that. And it's interesting that other races, those, those numbers are coming out, just not this one. So um, that, that kind of tells me something. Very interesting indeed. Well, where could people find out more about your campaign? Sure. Uh, they can reach us at carlinforussenate.com. We've got uh, a lot of great content, our, uh, our take on issues, uh, current events of interest to them, um, medical freedom uh, content, pretty much across the freedom spectrum. That's why we're doing this. I, I mean, for us, uh, our destination is the freedom of our children. And that's, that's the whole reason why we, we set out on this course and, uh, that's how we're going to try to write this ship. Well, good stuff. Carlin for USSenate.com. You can find out more. Certainly keep us abreast uh, about the developments over the next two weeks. This will be exciting to watch, perhaps historic. Um, but nonetheless, it shows a lot of guts to actually embark on this. So good luck and God bless. Thanks. Thanks very much, Daniel. I appreciate it. So there you have it there, Senator Jim Carlin. Uh, from Iowa, Sioux City, Iowa. This is a big race. This is a very big race, and it's being ignored. He's running on fighting the monopoly of food, tech, and healthcare. He's right. That is the triple, uh, the, the basically the triple beast that we have. It's going to affect everything we do, everything we face in life. And does anyone really believe Chuck Grassley is going to be the man standing? There in the dike, laying down on the tracks. No, everyone knows that he's part of the problem, has been for many years. And I don't know if he's going to win, but I will tell you this much. I believe it is very much in play. And I believe if he doesn't win, it's because people didn't get involved. And there are so many other examples of this. So obviously we're going to be watching Uh, The results tonight very closely. Obviously, I am still out of 
commission in terms of my full-blown, you know, my full-blown self where I'm monitoring everything. I'm out here shooting with a bunch of Patriots, defensive handgun training. We're really having a great time. Hope to see you guys at our next training, hopefully sooner rather than later with Patriot Academy. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.